But we're beginning a new series this morning, uh, and uh, coming out of Judges, and uh, our series uh, behind me, you can see, is titled Invested. It is a study on generosity, uh, and I've got to say that I'm grateful for many people. I have a few friends that are pastors. Uh, Andy Stanley has been very helpful, Tim Keller, uh, and others who have been really helpful as I've looked at this topic of generosity. Uh, Now, I realize, uh, if you didn't know, that we're launching into a a series on generosity, you do now, uh, and many of you are nervous. Some of you are already thinking, is there a way you can get out of this service? Something just came up, you might need to leave. Uh, The the following two weeks in this series, uh, maybe you'll have a busy schedule, you might not be able to make it. We we all get a little nervous around this issue of generosity. I'm not sure there's anything that gets people more nervous in the church than the topic of money and generosity. In the five-year history of our church, do you know how many times we've preached on this topic, generosity or money? Twice. Only twice, and both of those times were part of a larger series, the Seven Deadly Sins and our Ten Commandments series. So I've got to address some of the nervousness. We are not doing this series to get your money. We're not. Also, as pastors, we don't know what you give financially. Now, if I have to be really honest, I think we here at Christ Central Church and the church at large do a disservice to you as our people by not addressing and talking about generosity more often. Twice in five years is not enough. Now, has the church or even churches been manipulative around money? They abused power for the sake of money? Yes and yes, but avoiding an issue that Jesus addresses 10 to 20 times more than any other subject in the Bible because we are afraid of being typecast as one of those churches is not being faithful to form and shape you as followers of Jesus. Jesus talks about money way more than he does heaven, hell, and sex. Though this series is not primarily about money, it's about generosity. Generosity includes money, but it also includes our time, being generous with our service, generous with our relationships, generous with our neighbors. It includes how we use our talents, how we share our possessions. Our aim in teaching on generosity is not necessarily to get you to do something. Our aim is to go after your heart so that you become something. So when my two sons are fighting over their McQueen car, or more recently, the basketball, I'm not teaching them to share with each other because I want them to have better behavior in that moment or or display one act of kindness. See, I want them to share, I want them to be generous because I want them to be a loving and generous person. Mainly because I know that being generous leads to a good life. I want what's best for my children. So to form and shape my children to be generous is loving them. Us teaching on generosity is loving you. Pastorally, we really do want God's best for you. Generosity at its core is about who we are. And therefore our our hearts and minds must be changed if we're gonna become generous. I could guilt you into giving. I might be able to motivate you I might be able to inspire you to give, but I want you to give because you are generous. 
because it is who you are and more deeply because it is who God is. It is who Jesus is. So I'm gonna to preach today broadly on generosity and then in the next two weeks in this series, we're gonna be more practical and more specific and we'll look at generosity with our time and with our relationships and then we'll look at generosity in our money. So this morning, we're gonna look at Luke chapter 12 and Acts chapter 20. Uh, it is in your bulletin and on the screen and as is our custom, I'm gonna ask you to stand if you're able and we're gonna give attention to God's word this morning. This is God's word, Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Acts chapter 20. Verse 32, this is the Apostle Paul talking to the Ephesian elders. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The Old Testament prophet says, Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that you are so generous to us. You created us, that you gave your son to us, that you've given us your word to know you. I pray that we would see you for who you are, we would know your heart as a generous heart towards your people and that we would be transformed because you've spoken to us. Lord, thank you that you're with us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Well, if you were to compare the first century church and the church today in North America, there would be a lot of differences, a lot of differences. If you were to ask someone to give an adjective to describe the church in North America today, what adjective do you think people would use? What would you say? The hallmark of Christians in the church in the first century wasn't their theology. Their beliefs were odd to most. It wasn't their money. They had none. It was their inexplicable compassion and generosity. They had little, but they gave. They received little compassion, but they were willing to extend what they had to other people. And because of this, they were impossible to ignore. What if we were characterized by our generosity? What do you think Christ Central Church would look like? What if your life was characterized by generosity? What do you think your life would look like. 
I want us to look at three things this morning in light of generosity. Look at the problem of generosity, the promise of generosity, and then lastly, the two principles of generosity. Let's look first at the problem of generosity. You know, the challenge of teaching on generosity to the church in North America is to teach us to be something that we think we are, but we aren't. Most of us think we're not rich, but we really are by almost any standard. And most of us think we're generous, but we really aren't. Now, I know we all want to start defending ourselves, me included. Don't tell me I'm not generous. How about that one time I I helped that person when they they were in need? How about that one time I, I gave money or I gave time I didn't have? And everybody thinks they're generous because everybody gives. But giving is not generosity. Random acts of giving is not generosity. Giving someone a meal, contributing one time to that charity, helping someone move into a new apartment that one time is giving. And giving one time does not make one generous. Now, hear me, I'm not discouraging random acts of giving. I'm just saying that you cannot say you're generous because you occasionally give. Generosity is a lifestyle. It is a daily posture towards all of life that comes from a heart that is broken for something or grateful because of God's generosity towards us. Here's another thing about our problem with generosity. We don't know who around us is generous. I know there are people in our community that don't have much money, but they give and they sacrifice with their money and they give and they sacrifice of their time and they seek to use all that God has given them for the sake of others and for God. And many of us would never know who that is. It's also to think that just because someone gives a big gift, maybe it has an extra zero or two zeros on the end, that, it, that this was so generous. Maybe it was, but without knowing the financial situation of the person, we don't know if it was generous or not. It could be little compared to their income and it could be given to assuage a guilty conscience right? as if, as if uh, it's possible to baptize our earnings with a little bit of charity. So what I'm saying is that everybody gives and it could be from guilt, manipulation or motivation, but our hope at Christ Central is that you, that I, that we give because we are generous It is who we are, our heart, our mind, and our actions engaged in a lifestyle of generosity. We want to teach you how to be generous. This is the problem of generosity. Now, before I get into the promise of generosity, I want to give you a definition. And this comes from Christian Smith, who's a sociologist at Notre Dame. He oversees the Science of Generosity Initiative. He wrote a book with Hillary Davidson called The Paradox of Generosity. And this is how they define generosity. Giving good things to others freely and abundantly. I would add, if I could, the words regularly and sacrificially. So here's our working definition of generosity. Giving good things to others freely, abundantly, regularly, and sacrificially. Now, in the same paragraph of uh, the book, Smith goes on to say, quote, generosity always intends to enhance the true well-being of those to whom something's being given. 
For this reason, generosity is ultimately an expression of love. In other words, there can be giving that hurts other people. It doesn't benefit them. Generosity always benefits the well-being of the recipient. So now let's look at the promise of generosity. And we're going to see this in Acts chapter 20, but before we get there, let me state the promise. Here's the promise. If you are a generous person, you will be a happy person. If you're a generous person, you will be a happy person. Listen to Smith and Davidson again in the intro of their book. They said, we've learned at first, the more generous Americans are, the more happiness, health, and purpose in life they enjoy. This association between generous practices and personal well-being is strong and highly consistent across a variety of types of generous practices and measures of well-being. Second, we have excellent reasons to believe that generous practices actually create enhanced personal well-being. That is social sciences telling us that being generous will make us happier, which as they acknowledge, the Bible has said all along, which we see in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. In all things, Paul says, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak, And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus saying it's more blessed to give than to receive is probably the most famous verse in the Bible in regards to giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And it's interesting that this comes from the Apostle Paul as a farewell sermon, a farewell speech to the elders of the Ephesian church. Men he loves deeply, men he will not see again. And when you're not going to see someone you love deeply again, you don't talk about the weather. You don't talk about March Madness and your picks for the bracket. You talk about the closest thing to your heart. You talk about the thing that's most important to you. So Paul lays out his lifestyle to the Ephesian elders. Verse 33 says, I wasn't covetous of your wealth. Verse 34, he mentions that he paid his own way. He wasn't reliant on their giving. In verse 35, he reminds them he worked hard. And then he quotes Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Blessed, that's Sermon on the Mount language. Jesus' famous sermon in the gospel. Blessed means happy. Happy is the person who gives. Jesus isn't talking about a random one-off gift, which is how maybe we've heard or even used this verse before. Oh, that was such a nice thing you did for the person. And the response is, oh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So it's not talking about blessing because of a a one-time gift. And on top of that, even though we say that at times, if we're really honest, I'm not sure we would all agree with that. It's nice at times to give, but we would also say it's pretty nice to receive. But Jesus says blessed, happy is the one who gives. He's talking about our lifestyle. Our whole life of giving. And the promise is that you will be far happier giving than getting. Andy Stanley does this thought exercise. So I'm going to do it with you. Imagine that you had all the money that you've wasted the past 10 years. The money you've spent on shoes that you wore a few times. That trip that you went on that was expensive but was a pain in the rear. The phone you got to replace an older version of a phone that worked perfectly fine. The perfectly good car that you traded in for a newer car. 
Now imagine you had all that money back from the past 10 years and you had 12 months to spend it on things that really matter to you, things that your heart breaks for, things that you're grateful for. How much fun would that be? How joyful it would be. Would it make you happy to spend 12 months giving all that money away? It would. Now here's the thing. You won't do any of this without understanding at least two principles. So here's the third point, two principles of generosity. And the first principle, you don't own any of your stuff. You don't own any of your stuff. In Luke chapter 12, one guy calls out for Jesus to help him get part of his inheritance from his older brother. And Jesus a bit rudely says, that's not my problem. And then Jesus says, well, one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of one's possessions. In other words, your net worth does not determine your worth. And then he tells a story to drive the point home, verses 16 to 21. Tells a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And then I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And let me summarize. Verse 16, the rich get richer. Verse 18, because he has more, he decides he needs more. He needs a storage unit. He needs to finish the basement. He needs a little bigger house. It's nicer furniture, a newer car. Or as I've been saying recently, I just need a patio in my backyard. The rich guy gets more stuff so that he can save it and use it for himself later. Now catch this. The guy got more and it didn't make him generous. It just made him richer. More money will not make you more generous. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, when I get more money, then I can be generous. No, rich people are rich, generous people are generous. There is no correlation. Getting rich will not make you generous. What will make you generous is realizing that all your stuff is not for you to consume and spend on yourself, but it's God's and he is the owner. We are his managers. Luke chapter 12, verse 19, this man says to himself, you have enough, you're set. Take it easy, relax, eat, drink, be merry. Verse 20, God says to him, fool, you're a fool. Not because he's rich, but because he's confused. He's been acting like he's the owner of all of his things. And death is the ultimate proof that you don't own what you think you own. God owns it. We manage it for a while. We're to honor God, not with a percentage, but with all that we possess. It's not 10%, it's 100% his. You know, a few years ago, the High Museum of Art in Atlanta, Georgia, signed an agreement with the Louvre in Paris in which priceless art from Europe came to Atlanta on loan. And the collection included one-of-a-kind masterpieces from the past 4,000 years, rare works of Raphael, Rembrandt, Michelangelo. And according to the agreement, everything still belonged to the Louvre. 
It was just being entrusted to the care of the High Museum of Art. Here's a question. What percentage of the art collection did the Louvre expect the Americans to take care of? Do you think they would have been satisfied if we sent 10% of it back with a note explaining we decided to use some of the art canvases to teach our children how to draw and paint? No. Both parties knew that every piece would be cared for with absolute vigilance. So you get my point. The Louvre owned it all. Therefore, the High Museum of Art understood the responsibility of handling it properly. Is this how you view your money? Is this how you view your time or your opportunities or your talents? Now, I know this makes some, if not most of you, nervous. Because if we really believe this and we view life this way, maybe you're, you're asking, is God going to call me to sell everything and move overseas as a missionary? He might for some of you, but probably not to most of you. And I'm not saying that everybody in here needs to take a vow of poverty. I am saying that God doesn't just want your stuff. He wants you. He wants all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your actions. There is a reason that the word miser, stingy, hoarder, forms the word miserable. See, God wants all of you and he wants what's best for you. Generosity stemming from believing God owns everything leads to a happy life. Here's the second principle of generosity that's extremely important. God himself is a generous God. Now, I've been a little nervous preparing for this series, but I've also been really excited. I've been excited uh, because I know that you think about this all the time. You think about your money, you think about your possessions, you think about your time. I don't even though I, I think I might offend or we might offend some of you during this series, I don't think you'll get bored in this series. Now, the main reason I'm excited is that generosity is a great way to talk about the love of God. It's a great way to talk about the gospel of grace because above all, our God is a generous God. He is a giver by nature, not a taker. John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God did not send his son to collect. He gave his son to love us. And not just the father, but the son Jesus gives. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And it wasn't just God, but Jesus' followers give. Acts chapter 4, 34 to 35, there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. God's only way of acting is giving. He gave us life. He gave us his son. His son gave us his life so that the father could give us pardon. This is grace and it is the essence of who God is. God and Jesus shifted the world's understanding of love. See, we give not to be repaid. We give to love. And in our love as Christians, in our generosity, the love and the generosity of God is put on display. 
If we believe that God has given us everything to manage, then giving will be our way of living. And the world will know the love of God as the people of God are made happy. In the early 300s, there was a man named Pacomius. He was 20 years old when the Roman army took over his town of Thebes. And when the Roman army took over a community, they would select young men and draft them into the Roman army. And because the Romans knew that men, if possible, would escape, they would lock them in prison until they could be carted off and trained for, for the army. While Pacomius was in prison, a famine ravaged the area. And everybody in prison began to starve. But as Pacomius documents, strangers began to show up at night and slip food between the bars. And night after night, these mysterious people came back. And each time they did, the prisoners inhaled the food without asking questions. And as a result, Pacomius and his friends survived the horrible famine. Now, when it was over, Pacomius began to ask, who are these people? Where did they come from? And why in the world were they feeding us? And the answer bewildered him. These strangers were members of a group known as Christians, Galileans, or some called them the followers of the way. When Pacomius completed his obligation to the Roman infantry, he immediately sought out the Christians. And from them, he learned about Jesus, the one who gave his life away to love us. And he became a Christian. And later he became known as Saint Pacomius because of his devotion to the kingdom of God's movement in the world, all because of the extraordinary generosity that captured his heart. Church, may we be a people captured by the radical generosity of God to us in Christ. And may it make us a people of radical generosity so that others in our city and beyond may understand the generosity and love of our God. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I pray that you would do deep heart work in all of us. In some ways, Lord, the, the church in the first century, they got it in so many ways that we just don't. It's easy to be the rich man in Luke 12, to have much and to be happy and merry and relaxed and tight-gripped on our, all of our money and time and possessions and Oh God, would we see your generosity that, that is offered to us? Would we understand the generosity of Jesus who gave his life for us? And would it lead us to be a people of radical generosity? Lord, we will be much happier when we live that way. And not just that, but Lord, when we give, we declare to the watching world the love and the generosity of our God. Make us a generous people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.